Okay, it's time to commit. 2024 is the year for prioritizing yourself. Begin your new smile journey with Byte, and you could start seeing results in just two to three weeks. Just order your at-home impression kit today for only $14.95 at Byte.com. Byte clear liners are doctor-directed and delivered to your door. Treatment costs thousands less than braces, plus they offer financing options, accept eligible insurance, and you could pay with your HSA, FSA. Get 80% off your impression kit when you use code WONDERY at Byte.com. That's B-Y-T-E dot com. Start your confidence journey today with Byte. Hello, everybody. I'm Lou Dobbs, and welcome to The Great America Show. Thanks for being with us. It turns out the Biden administration may be as upset as China's leaders that Speaker Nancy Pelosi had the guts to go to Taiwan and announce that the United States would support Taiwan and its people. The Chinese Communist PLA then fired off missiles over or near both Taiwan and Japan, put on live-fire military exercises all around Taiwan and in the Taiwan Straits. All in all, a highly produced and coordinated military version of a hissy fit, and more may be yet to come. Some fireworks as well in Tuesday's primary elections, but the main event has surely been Arizona, where highly favored and poll leader from start to finish, Carrie Lake, has of right now a razor-thin 2% lead over her opponent. But it is clear Maricopa County is 2022's version of Cook County, Illinois, where the political establishment keeps proving they are as crooked as can be. Lake should pull it out, but who knows? All the other races going to America First candidates, a great night for MAGA candidates in all five states holding primaries Tuesday. Our guests today are Senator Rand Paul of Kentucky seeking his third term, a constitutional conservative who supported President Trump, who is also a physician and great American and conservative attorney Kurt Olson, who has represented President Trump and the inventor of my pillow, Mike Lindell. We turn first to Senator Paul, whose views on vaccines, the NIH and FDA, and Dr. Anthony Fauci have proved correct and prescient. Great to have you back with us, Senator, and welcome. Let me ask you first for your reaction to Dr. Fauci's decision, his apparent decision, to retire from his current job somewhere around 2025, it seems. Well, you know, we're planning a big send-off. We're thinking of a big retirement party for him. We're thinking maybe, though, instead of a gold watch, that we get him a pair of silver bracelets, you know, one for each (laughs) wrist. But, uh, no, seriously, um, before he goes, uh, we do have a few questions, and we'd like them answered under oath. He says he's not leaving till you know Biden's administration's over, and I think in November um, there's a very good chance that we'll be able to subpoena the records that he's been withholding. Uh, there's quite a bit of records he's withholding. He's withholding the uh, royalties that all scientists receive. 1,800 scientists at the NIH, CDC, FDA received $193 million over about an eight to 10 year period. And he says, well, the law says they don't have to reveal this. And my response is I'd be a little more comforted if I knew that the people on the vaccine committee were not receiving royalties from the vaccine makers, and there's no response. And if you're not going to respond, it just makes us doubtful about whether or not these people might have a conflict of interest. I, I know that you've dealt with this issue for some time. I, 
I would I think this audience would love to understand how it came to be that Dr. Fauci and others at NIH would have this uh, amazing, extraordinary exemption from oversight, uh, as well as indeed the the uh, windfall of money for these 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 patents. You know, I think the uh, the fact that he's been there for 41 years, you know, he knows he knows where everything is. He has the complete power over the funding. He's he's, uh, you know, in a domain where he's unchallenged. And I think there's fear and that fear has led to a lack of dissent and a lack of questioning and a lack of transparency. So one of the things I think we ought to do is make his position one that has to be approved by the Senate because it has so much power. But I actually put an amendment in and we voted on it the other day in committee to divide his position into three, eliminate him as the current occupant, divide it into three, and make that position then that it has to be approved by the Senate. And uh, didn't get any Democrat support. That didn't surprise me, but I actually lost five or six of the Republicans on the committee, and that was sort of demoralizing. Uh, well, like you, we are skeptics about different things and some the same thing, some of the same things. But on this one, I I am a born skeptic. I didn't have much doubt that there would be a number of your liberal colleagues uh, in your party who would go along with the Democrats. Let's turn, if I may, uh, to the uh, economy. Commerce Secretary Raimondo saying inflation's global due to war, COVID, and we'll fix it. Uh, I guess there's a reason they haven't fixed it yet. Well, at least they're no longer arguing that it's transitory. I was wondering what the definition was. You know, we've had it for over a year now, and everybody kept saying it's transitory. But I don't think they still have a full understanding of what causes inflation. And I think people need to be informed, reinformed, and re-explained that inflation comes from debt. And it's when the Federal Reserve purchases the debt, they create new currency. So for the last three years, the M2, which is a measure of the money supply, has been going up to about 15% a year. And last January, it was actually going up at an annualized rate of 27%. So if you increase the money supply, chasing the same amount of goods, you get inflation. And it's important to know that because the Biden administration then tells us the answer is to borrow more money. And it's actually the opposite of the answer. We should quit digging the hole so deep. And uh, we actually have to realize what happened the last time we had a big inflationary cycle in the late 1970s. What happened? It wasn't pretty. It ended in recession and double-digit uh, inflation and uh, double-digit interest rates. And it's unclear at this point is exactly what will be the outcome of this uh, inflationary cycle because, as you say, uh, definitively, uh, it is a uh, in inflationary cycle, which, by the way, at least at the wholesale level, is now in double digits, uh, qualifying for hyperinflation as far as I'm concerned. I, let me turn as well to this Brian Deese, because it's one thing for a president who's obviously impaired not to understand uh, the economy, economics, and the forces at work. But Brian Deese, the head of the president's uh, economic council, uh, talking about passing the Senate uh, trillion-dollar spending bill so that they can fight inflation, that kind of non sequitur I did not expect from an economic advisor, uh, let alone uh, the head of the uh, economic council. Uh, your reaction? Well, it goes to a fundamental misunderstanding of inflation. You know, if they don't understand it comes from debt, then they just want to add more debt. 
look, the California governor thinks that passing out more free checks will get through the inflation. You know, they're going to pass out free inflation checks when the inflation that we have is from passing out free checks. So they, they just really fundamentally uh, don't get it. In addition to wanting to borrow more money, they also say that why don't we have a new tax on small business? They want a 3.8% tax on all pass-through businesses. And I was told the other day that of the 26 million uh, pass-through businesses or 26 million small businesses in our country, about 25 million of them are pass-throughs. Uh, these are typically S-corps. And if we do a 3.8% uh, you know, uh, income tax or new tax on them, in addition to the inflationary problems they're having, that it's going to kill a lot of small businesses and jobs. So they really just don't get it. But this is what elections are about. People have to decide, do you want to reelect people who want to borrow more money to fix inflation or want to raise taxes to fix uh, an impending recession? And I think really most people think those are boneheaded ideas. Boneheaded ideas. You say they don't get it. I'm, I'm afraid that this administration, this president, all of his advisors, the cabinet, I, I just don't think they give a damn at this point. Uh, what do you think? I think the hard part for him is, is that probably in private, like a few of the different uh, economists, you know, that are embarrassed by some of these comments coming have actually admitted that, you know, the spending packages that they spent too much and that's what's causing this rip-roaring inflation. So the ones who aren't willing to admit it, though, because it goes against what their policy is, I think that they probably you would think they're not complete ignoramuses that they understand this in private, but they can't make the argument because the argument goes against all the things they're for. And this is how they gain power by giving more money away. Constituent groups love money, so they give them money, and that's how they buy their votes. But if people were to someday wake up and find out, oh, my goodness, they say they're for the poor and the working class, but inflation is killing the poor and the working class all of a sudden they may lose a constituency. So they have to sort of misdirect, say it's the Republicans or say it's the oil companies or say the prices are too high because the people selling us stuff are charging too much. And um, I think that uh, maybe there's just misdirection and they're just being disingenuous. They're not, they're not foolish or stupid. They understand the economics, but they just know that to admit it would be to admit that their policy is causing it. And there has been no sign that they're willing to do that, which is also raising deep concerns uh, amongst uh, millions of Americans that the reason they're not concerned is that we're looking at the prospect of another rigged election. Do you think that could be the case? You know, I think that uh, they are concerned about the election. I think they will try, like, all get out to uh, – turnout vote uh, that may or may not exist, may or may not be real. And I think they'll do it in the cities they control. I think that the Zuckerberg $450 million, unfortunately, that's going to go back to some states. Again, Wisconsin tried to pass a law prohibiting it. Their Democrat governor vetoed it. In Kentucky, in my state, our great state legislature banned uh, Zuckerberg bucks, and I think they did in several other states. So we'll see. In some, it's going to be a state-by-state -state basis. In some states like Wisconsin and Pennsylvania, I don't think they passed any reform. So there's going to be this question, or will they be able to cheat again? And uh, I don't think enough, there's enough cheating for them to win, to tell you the truth. I mean, it takes an extraordinary amount of cheating, but um, I don't know if there is enough cheating to win when everybody's paying five, six bucks for gas and people are suffering and Biden's approval ratings are under 30%. Um, but I am a big believer in watching them. 
And, you know, people sometimes throw up their arms like, what should I do? Should I even bother to vote? Volunteer to be a, a precinct watcher. Sit at the desk with the Democrat in the precinct and make sure the same amount of people that come in are the same amount of people that are in the in the book. And there's a, enough balance at the end of the day that they equal the people in the book. There are some checks and balances that you can do in person. And uh, I think it's worthwhile for everybody to still try to participate in watching and, and making sure the election's as honest as we can make it. Yeah, I urge everybody listening to this 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 podcast to to do so, to volunteer at every level in every role, so that we do have uh, countervailing influences of some kind at the most important level, and that's the local level when it comes to an election. I, I would also like to ask Kentucky. I understand for the first time has more Republicans than Democrats registered. Is that true? This is a big deal. First time since, you know, maybe forever. I mean, in the days of Andrew Jackson, you know, west of I-65 didn't exist, but the western part of our state was the Gibraltar of the South. It was the solidest Democrat you've ever had. And even when uh, my wife and I were first married in the early 1990s, uh, still was solidly Democrat. Every state rep, every state senator, and the registration in the western part of the state. Now, I think we have one Democrat elected in the western part of the state in the state legislature. Everything's Republican. The local county judge executives are, are, are flipping to Republican. And you're right. We finally now have a majority of registered uh, Republicans, which is a good sign because there's still quite a few conservative Democrats that just haven't switched their registration yet. So we still get uh, – you know, probably 10% of those still registered Democrats are voting Republican because the national Democrats have become too crazy for local people. That's a juxtaposition I haven't heard in a long time. Conservatives <laughs> and Democrats. My goodness. I, I, I didn't know there's the species uh, was uh, not extinct. Well, I'll give so, you an example. My, uh, my wife's parents were registered Democrats, and I was running for office in 2009. I said, well, I'm running for office. And they said, well, we'll vote for you in the fall. And I said, well, I may not make the fall. I need you to register as Republicans. And by the way, when's the last time you voted for a Democrat for president? And uh, Kelly's mom, who grew up Catholic, said, well, Kennedy. And I said, well, that's been quite a while. And the Democrats are, are not much for cutting taxes anymore. And uh, she agreed, and so we got them to switch. But a lot of people don't switch just out of their politics were always kind of conservative, but they lived in the South, and there was no Republican primary, and there was no real – everybody just told you you had to register as a Democrat, and everybody did. And so now people have caught, caught wind, and I mean really literally you know, we got, we got Democrats supporting drag queens, dancing for first graders. We got them giving picture books on how your, your kindergartner can change their sex. The, the national Democrats have become so bizarre and weird that no self-respecting Southern Democrat wants to be a Democrat anymore. I can't imagine why any self-respecting American would put up with the, the insanity, the irrationality of the left in this country. Because it is really, they are parading uh, mental illness in the public square and calling it policy and ideology, philosophy, and they want to make it regulation and law. Uh, it, it it seems if ever there were a time for a tsunami, not a wave, but a tsunami, this would be the year. But your thought about the, the state of the the body politics brain right now. Well, I think we are in for a shift, and I think that 
some of these things, you're, you're starting to see, you know, some of the more traditional Democrats worrying that there's too much discussion of, uh, you know, having the black kids sit on one side and the white kids sit on the other side as critical race craziness. Um, this sort of idea that somehow some kind of new segregation is the way to teach people about the difference between the races and the absurdity of that, the absurdity of drag queens in our school, the absurdity of people letting, you know, a six foot three boy swim in the, in the women's or girls uh, swimming meet in college. That stuff is so bizarre that you're finding even people who want to say, well, I don't really like the Republicans, but the Democrats are too damn crazy anymore. I think that is that is that's going to hurt them. And I think that's that. And you add in the inflation and you wonder how they could possibly win. The only possibility is that there's still sort of a, a divide between workers and non-workers. And I think the Republican Party has convinced people who work that their money is more frugally uh, looked after by Republicans and the I think that's something that has to keep going, and we have to keep trying to expand our workforce to have more people in it that realize the importance of work and the importance of having frugality in government. But I think something big's happening, and I appreciate you having me on. I'm after run, but thanks a lot for having me on, Lou. You got it always, Senator. Good to talk with you. All the best. Thanks. Thanks. Always good to have Senator Rand Paul with us, and now we're joined by conservative attorney Kurt Olson, who's a former Navy SEAL, who's represented President Donald Trump and my pillow founder, Mike Lindell. Kurt, delighted to have you with us here on The Great America Show. I want to start with the Biden administration's efforts to evade the effect of the Supreme Court's reversal of Roe v. Wade, where they're trying to codify Roe v. Wade or the Biden DOJ taking on state abortion restrictions or even bans. Yeah, I mean, I think it's important to recognize that the Supreme Court ruling in the Dobbs case did not uh, uh, take away abortion. It merely sent it back to the states for the voters and the representatives of those states to decide how they want to proceed within their own state. And so the Supreme Court didn't say that abortion is illegal. They just said, states, this is your decision. There is nothing in the Constitution that speaks one way or the other about abortion. And what you're seeing with the Biden administration in their attempt to codify is really to take away people's rights to vote on this issue themselves. And you're exactly right. This is a, a Marxist type or fascist type dictatorship where the federal government is trying to once again dictate to the people an issue that is quintessentially a, a state issue. And we're seeing authoritarian impulses, to put it kindly, throughout the Biden administration. Uh, the number of executive orders, administrative orders that he's issued, uh, everything from the, re, re, if you will, reversing uh, President Trump's border policies, including the Remain in Mexico policy with the Supreme Court, by the way, just upheld today. Uh, we're seeing a, a president uh, who is obviously so impaired uh, that he is little more than a puppet, uh, but those who are his masters are insisting upon a, a decidedly left-wing turn for the entire country, whether it be legislatively or whether it be through uh, executive fiat. Uh, it is a remarkable thing to witness and a chilling, chilling development. It is, and I think it's important to recognize not just the mechanism by which 
these policies are being instituted, for example, you know, via executive order or administrative order and so forth. It's what is the effect of those policies? And so why on earth would anybody who wants to, you know, uh, loves this country as, you know, as a patriot, wants to preserve, you know, what this country is all about, why would you have an open border policy, for example? Why would you give $45 billion to Ukraine ostensibly for their military, but there's no audit of that, that money. You know, we'll never know where exactly it goes yet deny even a penny to help small businesses. Or, and it really does seem like this administration is, uh, is almost at war with the American people. It, it does seem that way. And it, it, it may seem that way because they are at war with the American people uh, and with our very values and institutions. They have effectively become an ex, a armed extension, they being the FBI, an armed extension of the Marxist-led Democrat Party. Yeah, no, there are some very troubling uh, instances. It's, you know, I'm a, I'm a former SEAL. I actually, uh, some of the uh, folks that I work with, you know, went to the FBI. Some of them were at their HRT, their hostage rescue team. And it, it's surprising to me that the FBI uh, is sending out uh, SWAT teams to go serve warrants on people like uh, um, Paul Manafort or, or uh, Stone. I mean, these are you know, elderly gentlemen. They're no threat to society, certainly not violent. Uh, there's or Peter this, Navarro, former president, Peter, uh, yeah. Trump's assistant. And, and Tina Peters, who you may have heard about, who is a the uh, former clerk in uh, Mesa County, Colorado, who uh, found what she thought was election fraud and took it upon herself in that case to preserve an, an image, a forensic image of the computerized voting system there. It's called the election management system. And what she uncovered is quite stunning, including that Dominion with the Secretary of State's blessing, Jenna Griswold, who is supported by George Soros, that they overwrote the entire operating system and destroying all auditable logs about what went on in the elections. Among other things, there's also evidence that there is actual machine manipulation that's going on there. Within this uh, machine, it's been discovered that there were magically two new databases that were created with no apparent uh, authorization or mechanism to do so and then the select migration of digital ballots. And I don't wanna to get too much in the weeds, but I wanted to explain that because as a consequence of that, the FBI started raiding people's houses. And Sharona Bishop, who is an activist for election integrity, she, her house was raided, her door was bashed in with a battering ram. Her daughter was taken out down the stairs by her hoodie and she, the FBI, with SWAT teams, took all their electronics, didn't charge anybody. And they've done that to several other people. And we're talking uh, Belinda Nicely, who was a uh, Tina Peters clerk. The, she's a 70-year-old grandmother, and they sent an FBI SWAT team out for her. And it does seem to be pure intimidation and a weaponization of, of the FBI and the Department of Justice. Would the, the men that you served with uh, uh, in special warfare uh, with the SEALs, would they have taken an order to do something like that? None that I worked with. 
So that's what, that's I might certainly would not. Have. Yeah. Yeah. I, I this FBI is made up of people I don't recognize. Uh, I worked with I've worked as a young reporter closely with the FBI. Uh, I've known a number of agents uh, for whom I have immense respect. A former vet, uh, they are veterans, uh, and I can't even imagine. First of all, that they would carry out such an order to their men, I couldn't imagine their men uh, doing such a thing. It's a uh, we're at a we're at a different point in our history, and I don't think most of us can quite grasp uh, what is happening and why. Well, I think what you're seeing is it's not just uh, one act like this; it's a swarm of acts, and I think that's intentional. So when you're seeing for example, we talked about the uh, weaponization of the FBI to, to go run after you know folks like Roger Stone and Paul Manafort who present no threat, or you can look at uh, drag queen shows for little kids, CRT, uh, the fact that we cut off our domestic energy production and then blame the rise in prices or attempt to blame the rise in prices on Putin's war in Ukraine. You know, there's there are so many attacks, and what it does is it keeps people off balance and unsure of what to do next or to know where, you know, how this is all coming about. I think it's actually intentional that you're seeing this panoply of acts that are undermining the family unit, the societal unit, the governmental institutions that exist. I think it's all part of a of a coordinated effort. Uh, and by definition, we're talking about a Marxist uh, initiative within the Democrat Party. Indeed, Marxist Dems seem to be driving uh, the leadership of the Democrat Party. Uh, what is not clear to me, uh, amongst many things, but what amongst those many things, what is not clear to me is why we once said of the FBI, no matter what happened, but for the most part, the FBI is made up of great Americans, wonderful, uh, wonderful Americans doing their jobs. We no longer hear that because no one has stepped forward, not a whistleblower, not a single person has informed on the FBI, even as they lied and persecuted knowingly an innocent president and accused him of collusion. Uh, with the Russians, a disinformation campaign uh, created uh, and a conspiracy fostered by none other than his uh, political opponent in the election of 2016, Hillary Clinton, and the Democratic National Committee, and the law firm for the Democratic National Committee and the Democratic uh, Party, Perkins Coy. Uh, it, it, and it goes on. Uh, the, a conspiracy this vast, this broad, and this deep Within the deep state, I don't uh, have, I've had people say to me, what do you mean deep state? And I've said to them, explained to them for years, but I have to say, even I would not have imagined that it was this pervasive uh, and this animated within our federal government. Well, I, I think it's grown over time and, you know, there, and there's clear evidence. And so I would, you know, I would point you to, there is a, a FISA court judge. Uh, her name is Judge Collier. She issued in April of 2017 a 99-page opinion, somewhat redacted. But that opinion uh, arose out of the circumstance where Admiral Mike Rogers, who was then head of the NSA, 
uncovered the FBI utilizing NSA tools to surveil illegally people like in uh, those in the Trump administration and those who worked within his orbit. And when he reported it to the NSA IG, they conducted an investigation and it went up to Judge Collier and it's all documented in this FISA court opinion. Again, a 99 page opinion. And what the court found there were there were third party contractors that the FBI was using to surveil and spy on thousands and thousands of Americans. And it went back to as early as 2012. And what they found, and this is this is the judge's opinion, and I would encourage everybody to to look this up and read it. It's quite stunning. I believe it was over 85% of these quote unquote search queries, and these are using NSA tools that can uncover any conversation we have, whether it's a text message, a voicemail, a cell phone call, an email. The 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 surveillance capabilities of our government to know everything we do is stunning. And the FBI was misusing that through third-party contractors. And then we just found out who was that likely third-party contractor. It was the law firm of Perkins Coie, who had a uh, essentially a skiff in their office to use these NSA tools to go after political opponents. Right. Yeah. And you can't make this stuff up. It's straight out of a, it's almost like a, you know, a, a uh, you know a Patterson novel, and when you talk about the 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 skiff, the portal inside Perkins Coy, the law firm, the Democratic law firm, I, I don't know of an analog. Uh, I don't know of a Republican firm that had an FBI uh, portal. I don't know of, uh, but, but at the same time, I don't know how many of these FBI portals are in Democratic law firms around the country. But I would suspect there are far more in the Democrat uh, law firms than there are certainly in Republican. How, 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 let me ask you this way. We've been reporting on this, this uh, relationship between the Democrats and the FBI for quite some time. But give us your sense of just how this came to be. Uh, how pervasive do you think it is? Uh, and, and is it an absolute a relationship that is one that uh, is uh, permanent and fixed and not likely to change. In terms of how it came about, I think it, you know, the, the digitization of information uh, over the past 30 years has provided an opportunity, particularly with the, uh, the tools that have become available uh, for surveillance and control, uh, some might even say blackmail and other, uh, you know, the ability to to ferret out information that has grown exponentially, and the temptation to use or misuse those capabilities are what has led us to the point where we're at. And I would not uh, lay uh, all blame at the uh, at the feet of the Democrats. I think, you know, with all these revelations that we're hearing about now, where, where are the Republicans? Mm -hmm. I mean, there's a few that have come out, but by and large, you know, they've been silent. And you would think they would be screaming from the hilltops that Perkins Coie had a portal using, uh, working with the FBI to do a political spying operation. And why isn't, you know, why aren't they screaming, like I said, from, from the mountaintop? And so... 
one of the Go reasons ahead. might be that the FBI in absolute league with the Democrat Party would be a fairly chilling prospect for anyone in the Republican Party. Uh, a party, by the way, its leadership is not exactly made up of, uh, you know, silver and bronze star winners and uh, uh, extraordinarily courageous American patriots. Uh, they are the establishment and they are cowardly to the extreme. Uh, it seems to be a litmus test that they have to pass to go into the RNC. Yeah, I mean, I think that, you know, the establishment, you know, what you heighten is involves both parties. It's about power and control and preserving the benefits that that they have uh, attained, you know, by virtue of their positions. And much of this has been going on for the past few years without, you know, the average person, you know, they're busy carrying on their lives. They've they've basically outsourced uh, their their uh, the, the, the function of uh, keeping security and you know what's going on in, in, in terms of the direction of the country and economic policy, much of that has just been outsourced to those that they think are going to be good stewards. Even if they're a Democrat or Republican, they don't think that they're actually going to actively subvert uh, the interests of the country you know, on a broad scale. But that, that, I believe, is what has actually happened, and we're seeing it now. Yeah, there's no question. Uh... For the six months that uh, the last six months of President Trump's campaign in which the FBI aggressively, actively tried to frame and then succeeded uh, as soon as President Trump was elected uh, in framing General Michael Flynn. Lieutenant General Flynn was was framed by the FBI. Uh, and those were obviously James Comey carrying out his orders. Uh, we know that the entire intelligence apparatus, I, well, I shouldn't say the entire intelligence apparatus, we know that the principal chiefs of the principal, the chiefs of the principal agencies, and by that I mean the the FBI, National Security Division, uh, the CIA, uh, the NSA, uh, all were involved uh, in a plot to, in point of fact, either stymie or overthrow President Trump. You bring up with the, what you're saying an interesting question. Admiral Mike Rogers of the NSA. What we don't hear a lot of discussion about and what we don't see much coverage of, and that can mean many things, as you know, but Adm Admiral Rogers and before him General Keith Alexander, their names have not been in any way associated with that metadata that the NSA, in fact, was responsible for collecting, under, by the way, under statute, uh, they may be the good guys to the degree that there are any amongst the chieftains of the, uh, the, the intelligence agencies. And uh, your thoughts on that? Well, I mean, I, it's been publicly reported that Admiral Mike Rogers, as I mentioned earlier, uncovered uh, illegal activity by the FBI, undertook an investigation. And then, at least from the reports that I've read, he went and uh, warned uh, President Trump, uh, who was at his offices in Trump Tower. And I believe it was you had uh, Brennan and uh, a few of the other agency heads try to fire Rogers for warning the president mm -hmm. that his office and his communications were being spied upon. And that's when the president you know, uprooted and took his uh, his office over to New Jersey. 
And uh, so Mike Rogers, by all appearances, did did the right thing. And but it's still going on. It is still we, going on. Yeah. And and the American people are working against a a complicit. Uh, and this is a kind word. They complicit national corporatist media. Uh, ABC News owned by Disney, CNN owned by AT&T, and now uh, Warner Brothers Discovery. Uh, We are watching these corporate-owned outlets doing the bidding of their corporate masters, and they are now left-wing. It's that straightforward. It is that simple. And we have a country that hasn't come to terms with the reality that we have a national left-wing media aligned with the radical Marxist Dem Democrat Party, uh, also with the legal system, the court system. Uh, I mean, go through our society. Where is there not a, a, a determinate Marxist left influence? Our schools, certainly. Uh, academia, higher education, uh, the medical profession. Uh, what? Where do we turn to find a significant number of independent conservative uh, patriots uh, who are concerned about this country and are not committed to the left. Well, I, I think people are waking up because now people are being, A, they're, it's, they're seeing it for their very own eyes. And not only that, the policies that are being implemented are directly affecting them. Gas prices, obviously, inflation being you know, one of the you know, uh, most, most recent examples. And, and so people in general tend to take action when their personal interests are directly affected. And General Flynn has a great, a great phrase, catchphrase, which is local action, national impact. And, you know, we're seeing it now with grassroots uh, in the various states that we're working with on the election issues, which we're still actively pursuing and uncovering that people, people, recognize the first thing is they recognize what's going on and then secondly they're actively taking steps to participate and to stop what's going on and that's whether it's running for your local school board or just educating a friend about things like the world economic forum many people that i talk to look at me like what are you talking about the world economic forum i actually had one friend and i mentioned klaus schwab who's the head of the world economic forum which, as, as you know, is a group that's been in place for decades that has basically infiltrated governments around the world. They have over 4,000 uh, individuals that they call, quote, young global leaders. Mm-hmm. And their agenda is a Marxist agenda. This is the build the back better, order. the new world order, build back better. You are going to you're not going to own anything and you're going to be happy. And so that is their tagline. And I, everybody should just go on to a search engine, look up World Economic Forum and Klaus Schwab. But again, people are starting to learn about this, but they didn't know about it up until recently. Even myself, you know, I, I, I confess, you know, up until, you know, after the November 2020 election, that's really when I started to become much more aware about what is really going on in the world and where they're trying to to lead us Mm -hmm. and the idea i think that's difficult for people to get their head around is just how big 
this is, how many people are involved, and how deep the tentacles of control go. And I'll give, I think, just one, one discrete example. You look at the beginning of this COVID-19 China virus pandemic. Right. There were recognized therapeutics that had been used for years, hydroxychloroquine that the president talked immediately. You know, that's a drug that I, as a SEAL, took a precursor to, to prevent, it's an anti-malarial, basically. It's also used in lupus. It's been around for 60 years. It's perfectly safe in, you know, even high doses. Now it does at like anything at, at extremely high doses, it becomes toxic, but for general use, it's perfectly safe. Yet the medical community threatened doctors for prescribing it. They were threatened with the loss of their license. This was, it's, it's clearly beneficial. And even the American Medical Association in January 2021 came out and said, oh, this is, can be a treatment for the China virus or COVID-19. Where were they eight months before? They were pillaring it. You saw all these studies come out saying it's, it's, uh, it'll you know, cause QT prolongation, you know, heart, heart attacks and, and everything else. It was, it was a propaganda campaign that you saw in the media. You saw it in publications, uh, recognized medical journals like The Lancet, which came out with a fraudulent study that they had to withdraw, which had said that hydroxychloroquine is not effective and it's dangerous. They withdrew that study within two weeks after it was shown for the world that it was based on fraudulent data. You, see, you saw that the medical boards were threatening uh, doctors for prescribing. Sure. And well, so, but I think it's important to recognize, and I just get real quickly, the interlocking between media, the medical community, academia, and, and governmental policy in terms of uh, uh, prohibiting and suppressing the use of a cheap, effective therapeutic, yeah. which had the consequence of likely, at least according to uh, Dr. Robert Malone, who's been very outspoken, he said that the suppression of therapeutics like ivermectin and HCQ likely killed around 500,000 people. Yeah, I, I, you know, I take these estimates even from uh, a doctor, uh, uh, Dr. Malone Standing, who's a frequent guest here. Uh, I, I take that with, uh, if, if you will, just a, uh, you know, a, a suggestion at least that uh, it's a wide, wide-ranging estimate. I, I don't know what the right number is. Neither does Dr. Malone. It's very hard to, to, to figure because we don't know about the therapeutics, uh, their impact at the point, at the incipient point of the pandemic. I do know this, Dr. Robert Malone, Dr. Peter McCullough, others uh, were exactly right in their demand for therapeutics, not simply a vaccine, which was the uh, end all and be all, understandably, uh, for the Trump administration and for uh, the CDC, and yes, Dr. Dr. Fauci. But we, we are dealing with something, as I said, I. Just point me to one part of our society, our economy, that isn't left-wing right now. Uh, and you've just made my point. The medical community, academia, uh, research and development, uh, the scientific community uh, tends to genuflect uh, when the herd coalesces around a, a government uh, view. Uh, it's a very, it's unlike anything, I'm, I'm a product of the 60s. Uh, I believe in critical judgment. I believe in not trusting your government. I'm skeptical of government uh, and uh, was taught from an early age to be so. 
I think that we've lost that healthy skepticism, but it's, uh, I think, to your point, I think it's being resurrected, thank you, to this government. Well, it, it used to be that, uh, in, you know, in the 60s, it was always, you know, fighting against the man and, you know, fighting against authority. And now you, you see that the, the Democrat Party and, and the left have embraced authority. And that, that's, a, that's a big tell. And then yeah. you layer on top of it the pure propaganda that's being imposed on the American people from a wide variety of topics. I mean, even you referred to uh, the vaccine for COVID-19. Well, they had to redefine what a vaccine was because this isn't a vaccine at all. It's a gene therapy. But if you look at event 201 and your well, readers can- It's genetic engineering. It, it's, it's, it's a genetic engineering, it's gene therapy. It changes the messenger RNA in our bodies. Yeah. And they actually did studies on this, where if they called it gene therapy, people would be more, less likely to take it for obvious reasons. But they call it a vaccine, and people are used to that, and they're more compliant. And, and the, so, and it's still under emergency use authorization. It's not FDA approved. That should give everyone something of a of a pause. Uh, we are also now learning uh, that some of these companies, including Pfizer, uh, an extraordinary number of deaths associated with of uh, the vaccines that were not reported. They had to be discovered. Uh, we have much, and by the way, the media has simply relaxed around this idea and have just taking it as sort of business as usual uh, that infants to five-year-olds now should be getting these doses of, of, of genetic engineering, if you will, these vaccines. Uh, but we know that, and we and we know what at least to some degree, we don't know, and we have much to learn. I want to turn to the elections and election integrity, if I may, Kurt. Uh, we've got a lot of people. I, I was just talking earlier with John McLaughlin of the McLaughlin Group, a, a foremost uh, GOP uh, pollster, uh, I think a brilliant political analyst. Uh, we're talking about all of the policies that are disastrous to the Biden administration, yet Biden doesn't reverse policies. What if this election doesn't reflect a higher level of electoral integrity, a higher level of electoral security? In other words, what if Mr. Biden would like to see a replication of what happened in 2020? And who is stopping him? Because it sure as hell isn't the, the Republican Party. No, the, the, the Republican Party, I think, has uh, really fought election integrity uh, certainly in 2020. I mean, when you heard Marco Rubio uh, chastise the president about uh, mail-in voting, that mail-in voting is rife with opportunities for fraud. And I mean, I can remember Senator Rubio saying, oh, you know, no problems with mail-in voting. Well, you can go back to the what's called the, the Carter-Baker Commission in 2005 that expressly stated mail-in voting offers the greatest opportunity for oh. obvious reasons for fraud. And so this wasn't controversial, yet they did, they took the opposite tact. And do I think that the electronic voting machines are being used to manipulate elections? Absolutely. I think there's strong evidence that shows that they're being used to manipulate elections. It doesn't take a rocket science when you, uh, scientists, when you look at these machines, the very few opportunities that people have had, you find that these aren't security vulnerabilities, they're security failures. And just as recently as June 3rd, CISA was forced to admit 
that Dominion, a certain type of Dominion voting machines or ballot marking devices, the touchscreen, were rife with uh, security failures that would allow nefarious actors to steal votes. And that's not me saying it. That's a professor of computer science at the University of Michigan named Professor J. Alex Halderman, who is a recognized election expert and has been sounding the alarm about how electronic voting machines are going to be used to steal elections on a national level. And he, he by the way, I, I, I should interject here because Halderman, who has just written a report that has reports written about the report, but which none of us has seen or read uh, because it's been withheld. It's under seal. The court will seal. not release it. But to his warnings, those warnings go back years. Uh, and they're warnings that, in my judgment, and obviously yours, uh, should be heeded. But my, I, my great question here is, why in the world aren't our secretaries of state in various, uh, in all of the states, why aren't the election uh, departments uh, uh, and commissions in each of those states, why don't they know what the major electronic voting companies are doing with their ballots? Why don't, uh, I, my wife and I went to vote uh, recently, there wasn't even a brand name on the, uh, on the, on the uh, ballot machine. It is mindless what we have allowed to grow up in this country since 2000 uh, in electronic voting. Yeah, no, that, that's absolutely true. The electronic voting machines will not make public their source code. This is a public function. And it's not just any public function. It's a, it's a public function that goes to the heart of our republic, voting. And the idea that machines would be allowed to process ballots and they they you know this is all done through code you know when when a ballot is scanned it's electronically reading what it supposedly says well that allows the opportunity to manipulate it's also tabulating the ballot so that allows the opportunity to manipulate and the source code that will it the voting machine companies refuse to make that public and in terms of you know why you know there's a generalizations i mean there's a wide variety of reasons but i i would note this it's well known that George Soros targeted local races. When I mean local, I mean the state level and, and, and lower, such as at local DAs. And, you know, the, the, the Soros-supported DAs through his Open Society Foundation, you know, we've already seen the consequence of having DAs who refuse to prosecute crimes, for example, at least crimes committed by people like Antifa and other left-wing groups. But the, the same the thing is... And the most recent report that I have seen on those Soros-placed uh, prosecutors, that there are now 75 of them across the country and in some of the largest cities uh, and counties in the country. Uh, it is truly amazing that George Soros gets away with this. Exactly. And George Soros has, just like he's done with the DAs, gone after secretaries of state. And so when you ask, like, how does this happen, just like a friend of mine who, who uh, rose up to the level of admiral and uh, was working at, at, at a high-level agency, uh, explained to me how the bureaucracy works. You know, you get one person in, and then they start creating a little fiefdom with their friends. And they're, they're more concerned about protecting themselves or what they want to do than what their purpose was for being part of that agency to begin with. So if you get 
a George Soros left-wing supported Secretary of State, who are they going to hire? They're going to hire like-minded individuals. And all of a sudden, you have a nest that's basically running the elections. And it's where we get now. For example, in Wisconsin, you may recall, the Racine County Sheriff found that the Wisconsin Election Commission, which is highly left-wing for the most part, I think there's only one Republican, not just broke the law, they shattered the law in the 2020 election when they told, instructed nursing homes to disregard the law and allow anybody to come in and fill out ballots for elderly nursing home residents, many of whom uh, suffered from dementia and other infirmities who were completely cognitively impaired and couldn't vote. And uh, there was at least one instance in this investigation where one of the one of the uh, family members said, you know, my mother-in-law voted in 2020. She hasn't voted in 10 years and she's bedridden and, and with severe dementia. And they found that not only out of that one nursing home did it, it were there it usually 10 votes, it went up to 42 votes, I believe. And there are thousands of nursing homes in Wisconsin that were affected by this policy. And so you see left-wing election officials who have burrowed in, who are disregarding the law, and in 2020, and I suspect you'll see it in the future, doing everything they can to maintain power. Because that's what this is all about. It's about maintaining power. It is maintaining power. That is what's at risk with every election. Well, I think when you say that nobody's talking about it, what we've seen is a bifurcation of the media. So the mainstream media, nobody is talking about it. But well, that's with what the ri- talking about. Yeah. And so, but with the rise of social media, which when you move away from the traditional social media, of, you know, Twitter and Facebook and so forth, and get into you know, Telegram, Truth Social, Frank Social, which is, which is Mike Lindell's site, and, and others you see that the word is getting out. I mean, there is a reason why President Trump in 2020 got more votes than any other sitting president in history, despite over four years of relentlessly negative coverage. And that's because the mainstream media is losing its power. And so in terms of people are getting their... uh, information from alternative sources they're doing you know more research and and trying to uncover the truth and it's difficult when there's a wave of propaganda that's being put out by the mainstream people trust you know, trust fox for example your old network but fox is you know when i watch fox for example on your ukraine conflict when uh, putin invaded ukraine in february it was relentless, nonstop, one-sided coverage. Putin was the next coming of Hitler. You know, the, the, you know, the, the, the NATO's at risk. Europe is at risk. He's, you know, he's going to recreate the former Soviet Union. The parade of horribles. And if you had any alternative viewpoint, and there was one, and that was by Colonel McGregor, who was telling the truth on Tucker about what was going on in Ukraine and, and the reasons why Putin... Uh, did invade. And you know, one of those reasons is Ukraine and NATO and the U.S. refused 
to say that Ukraine would not be part of NATO when it is on Russia's doorstep. The Biden administration was inviting Ukraine from the moment they, that Joe Biden took office 18 months ago. They began working to move Ukraine into NATO, inviting Ukraine and Zelensky to join NATO, which was a red line for Putin from the very beginning. But when he knew that he would invade uh, Ukraine, there wasn't a single diplomatic initiative on the part of the Biden administration, the State Department, none whatsoever to stop that invasion. And that speaks, I think, uh, loudly, clearly, uh, and comprehensively uh, as to where the responsibility uh, lies uh, in the run-up to the Putin decision. And I blame Putin entirely for his decision to attack Ukraine, but the Biden administration bears great responsibility. I think they do. I would agree with that. I, I would also note you haven't seen any effort to resolve this diplomatically. You know, the refrain, we're going to fight to the last Ukrainian is, you know, is true because all we are doing is supplying more and more weapons. We are prolonging the conflict. And right now, recently, it was just reported how we're going to be moving tens of thousands of troops into Europe. And all of these things are escalating the conflict and escalating tensions. Nothing is being done to take down the temperature. And the idea that, you know, I, I mean, I, I would, uh, I mean, I have a, a slightly different view on Ukraine. I mean, Ukraine is a cesspool of corruption and has been for quite some time. It's How's been, that different? Yeah. And the CIA is now, it's been reported that they've been actively involved there uh, with advisors stationed out of Kiev to direct the, uh, the war effort. We, it's been reported that 2014, that that was a CIA uh, instigated color revolution. The, the use of uh, bio lab facilities there, which, which is quite well, interesting. If that, if, that, if that was a color revolution, I must say that it ended badly. Uh, and we should remove the CIA from even the list of intelligence agencies when the result is that Crimea is taken over uh, uh, by Vladimir Putin. Uh, I, I mean, I, I believe some of this to a point, and I, and I certainly am no fan of the CIA. But here's the reality. The reality, again, is Zelensky, after one month of conflict, wanted to negotiate with Putin over Donbass and the eastern Ukrainian region that uh, Putin claims. Uh, and the Biden administration said no. And now here we are, all these deaths, all this destruction later. And again, the Biden administration itself bears responsibility. We, we can move off into the uh, shadows with the CIA and various other agencies, but this is emanating straight from the Biden White House. And Biden is corrupt as he can be. There is no question about it. We just don't have an FBI or a Justice Department that has sufficient integrity or uh, a sufficient lack of co corruption uh, to act. And that's where we are. We are caught with an impaired and corrupt president, and that is uh, that makes almost everything else a sideshow. I think it's a fair question to ask 
of the $60 billion that's being sent to Ukraine or for that effort, mm -hmm. it would be nice to know where that money's going. You know, it would be fascinating. And, but if you can give me an example of a, <laughs> of a checkout list for the money that we have spent on anything uh, in, uh, in the last uh, 10 years, uh, about where the money went. I mean, we've got 80, $85 billion in military equipment sitting in Afghanistan that we left for the Taliban. Uh, I mean, we can get going through the list. Uh, we, we, you know, we left, uh, you know, it, it's just amazing to me when I look at Iraq and Afghanistan, we squandered trillions of dollars under Republican and Democratic presidents and to what end? To no purpose whatsoever in the national interest it is except except to the military industrial complex and it is that true it is that provable and it is that appalling and most americans should should really you know ask themselves why why have we tolerated this kind of conduct uh we always kurt give our guests the last word and i want to give you that opportunity uh, for your concluding thoughts here on The Great America Show. Well, I would like to encourage everyone, as General Flynn has said, and I mentioned earlier, the local action, national impact. And people need to understand that what's going on now is not normal. This isn't a situation where maybe the Republicans will take control of the, uh, the, the House and Senate in, uh, in these upcoming midterms and things will get back to normal. What We are at a point in the history of this country that is far more precarious. And it's gonna require people to step forward and not just rely on their elected officials. Of course, people need to come out and vote in massive numbers, but they can no longer, people can no longer outsource their security or you know their, uh, their freedom and put it in the hands of others. And that means A, educating yourself about what's going on, not just reading the headline, but actually finding out about the World Economic Forum, finding out why these, you know, these vaccines, which are really a gene therapy are, you know, what's the data behind that? You know, how many people is it really hurting? Why is the FDA and the and Pfizer trying to keep that information secret for 75 years? You know, so Go on to uh, other social media sites like Telegram is a great one, Truth Social, Frank Social, listen to Frank Speech, Brandon House and Mike Lindell both have terrific, terrific newscasts at seven and eight Eastern uh, every night and you'll learn the real news. And so this is as much about education and everybody needs to educate themselves to wake up to what's going on and then participation to actively play a role in preserving our freedoms, because if we don't, we're going to lose them. And we're at a precarious moment uh, in our country's history right now. Thank you, Lou. Kurt Olson, we appreciate you being with us here on The Great America Show. Thank you so much. God bless you. Likewise, Lou. Thank you again. Thanks, everybody, for joining us today. Thanks to Senator Paul and thanks to Kurt Olson for being with us. And here Monday on The Great America Show, our guest will be our friend Steve Bannon, former chief strategist to President Donald Trump, and now the host of Steve Bannon's War Room podcast. Till then, 
God bless you. And God bless America. You know how to book flights and hotels. All you're missing is a tool to plan the travel experiences you'll have once you arrive. That's why you need Viator. Book guided tours, excursions, and more in one place. There are over 300,000 travel experiences to choose from, so you can find something for everyone. And Viator offers free cancellation and 24-7 customer support for worry-free travel. Download the Viator app now and use code Viator10 for 10% off your first booking in the app. Find travel experiences for you. Do more with Viator.